all creatures of our God and King who come to join us this morning. Lift up our hearts and let us sing. That's great. Hey, pup. Okay. So between the dogs, you see a cross. And what I want, to, want you to do this morning is just kind of look at the cross here. If everyone can see. Um, we're pretty familiar with the cross, with the symbol of the cross, but I want you to see just very basically, uh, you've got two barriers here. Um, there is a vertical barrier, uh, which prevents anything here from going any higher. You've got a horizontal barrier that prevents me from getting over here. Two barriers. Barrier, you could say, between us, creatures, and God, and a barrier between people. You can imagine someone else standing on the side. What Jesus does when he goes to the cross is he then does away with the barriers. Um, with his outstretched hands, he reaches out and grabs a person here and a person here and unites us in himself. Uh, he takes humanity, of which he is a part, down below and stretches out all the way into the heavens and unites us with God where in himself. So what I want you to see this morning, just kind of imagine the cross. Uh, I got two things. The first is in this passage, we're going to hear about Jesus breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. Breaking down the dividing walls of hostility between us and others. That seems like, I mean, in the culture and the time and the place and the moment in which we live, Man, with words thrown around like polarization and division and all that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe Jesus is the one that we can look to to break down these barriers. The second is that all of these divisions that we experience with one another actually point to a higher reality. The division that we have with God, the hostility that we have towards him because we want to be gods to ourselves. Jesus breaks that down too. That happens at the cross. So we're going to look at the cross and then we're going to move to the end of the passage in Ephesians and we're going to look more closely uh, at a structure of reality that God gives us. Um, that's going to point us into a way of life uh, that's faithful and true. Because in it, God gives us a new citizenship. He gives us a new family. And he gives us a new way of being together in the world. So I invite you to listen carefully and listen well. This too is the word of the Lord. We're still in Ephesians chapter 2. We're at the end of the passage. We're picking up in verse 11. And going to verse 22. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that at that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the covenants of Israel, stranger, uh, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by his blood. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances. 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God through one body on the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access through one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. And you also in him are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want you to think with me for just a moment. Um, you know, in the ancient world, the basic way in, in which people were divided, of course, people have always been divided. Right? But the, the very basic way, the most fundamental way was this division, the most biblical way was this division between Jews and Gentiles. You've heard those two words before? Jews and Gentiles. Jews be, meaning those who have been um, promised by God a future, beginning with Abraham, who received a covenant promise that God would make his family great, grow into a great nation, and that God would, through this nation, bless the whole world. God made a promise to Abraham. He confirmed that promise to Moses and the people and the people at Mount Sinai when he gave the law. And what was the function of the law? This is important because we need to sort of build the logic of this. So the function of the law uh, had a moral component. Um, an eye for an eye sounds maybe a little harsh for us. Yeah. But in the ancient world, it actually had a mitigating effect. Because it was a violent world and place. And so in the ancient world, if a poor man went and stole the chicken of a rich man, well, the rich man could just come back and take all he had or kill him or destroy all his property or run him off because he took a chicken. But the law, as it was practiced in Israel, then introduced this principle of justice so that if a man came and stole from another, well, that was wrong, but there was an equitable consequence. Does that make sense? So the law had a moral component which introduced this idea of justice and righteousness and fairness. The law had a cultural component. Uh, Jews, the people of Israel, could do, they could eat certain things that they couldn't eat others. You know, you heard of eating kosher, right? Um, what did that do? That made them look different from everyone else. People said, well, why do those folks, why does that people group eat or not eat these things? And part of that was God was making them distinct. So you've got uh, a legal framework, you've got a moral framework, um, you've got a cultural framework. The law functions to separate Israel out so that people can begin to see what difference does it make when you live in a relationship with the living God. Everyone else was a Gentile. right? So you've got the Jews, God's promised people. Everybody else was considered 
a Gentile. That was the basic division. That's what I wanted you to hear. The basic division between people in the Old Testament and in the Bible. Paul, who's writing this letter, is a Jew. In fact, he is a Pharisee, which means that he thinks the way that Israel will bless the world is by keeping the law in precise detail. And do you know what Paul says happens at the cross? In our passage, what did he say happened at the cross? Between those who were called the uncircumcision, those who were called the circumcision, between Jew and Gentile, what happens? The distinction is wiped away. There's no more distinction, he says. How did it happen? Jesus does away with the law of commandments and ordinances. Does that mean that there's no more right or wrong? That the moral framework is done away with? No, Paul says in Romans, by no means does it mean that. But it does mean that these cultural practices, eating particular things or not eating particular things, recognizing certain festivals throughout the year and, and keeping them as the way that you maintain relationship with God, all that is gone, says Paul, the Pharisee. So that now they can be made one in Christ. That happens at the cross. What I want you to see is that the cross presents to us a higher level of reality. At which people are made one. Because you've heard the phrase, we're all, all equal at the foot of the cross, right? Now, I'm gonna, now I, what I want, that's sort of theoretical, right? Now I want to show you how that works like in your life. You could, you could get this, okay? So I'm from Newland, which means that I don't live on Three Mile like Andrew. I don't live on Squirrel Creek like Lisa and Corbin. Uh, I don't live in Montezuma like Lib Green. Um, or at uh, Land Harbor, or uh, in Banner Elk. Like I'm from Newland, right? You can identify the place where you're from. Now you know that as much as we love each other in our community, as much as Avery County loves one another, that we also bear a little bit of resentment towards those who live in other places. Because there's a little difference between us. There might even be something like a dividing wall of hostility that gets built up over time. Part of identifying who we are is identifying who we're not. And yet, if I got together with Andrew and Lisa, uh, with folks in Montezuma and Banner Elk, and we got together and we started talking to somebody from Watauga County, you know, over there where App State is, what would we say? We would say, no, 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 no. We're from Avery County. Right? So, so despite our distinctiveness, there's a higher level at which we can operate and find unity. Right? Because we are not from Watauga. We're from Avery. Now, let's say that some folks from Avery and some folks from Watauga got together. and We were talking to somebody from the coast. What would we say then? No, 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 no. We're from the mountains. Right? We're, we're not from the beach. We are from the mountains where the temperatures are 72 in the summer. And we're not from over there like you guys. But then let's imagine that some folks from the mountains and some folks from the beach got together and started talking to somebody from New York City. New York City? What would we say? We would say we are from North Carolina. Do you see what's happening? There are higher levels of reality at which we find unity. That our divisions... 
though the distinctiveness remains, the division, the, the wall that we've built up no longer applies in the same way. Right? So we can continue to appeal to this higher level of reality. Some folks from New York City and Newland got together with some folks from Russia. We'd say, no, no, we're from the United States. You see how that works? There's, always, there's this higher level to which we can appeal where peace comes. Where the important thing is not our differences, but what we have in common. Okay, we live in a time and a day and a moment that is highly polarized where everybody is dividing ourselves up. Sometimes by race, black and white. Sometimes by party, Republican, Democrat. Where can we find any higher unity? Some people will say, well, we can appear, appeal to being Americans. And that can certainly work. But I want to propose to you that the highest level of reality to which you can appeal is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the place, this is the place where all divisions are done away with. It's the place where we can find peace and unity. Which seems to be something that might be worth offering the world in this moment. Can the church, can you offer anything to your friends and neighbors besides more opinion? Can we offer something true? Something that brings unity? If you put in your life anything higher than Jesus Christ, you end up with division. But if you put Jesus at the highest point of your life, because he is the highest level of reality, then what you find is peace. Let's say, and this is, this is very true in our, in our location, we live in a place where folks love their country, where we love the United States of America. But if that's your highest level of appeal, if that's your highest level of identity, what does that do when you start looking on the news and see some awful character like Kim Jong-il? He becomes your enemy, and the best thing that you want to do is destroy him. Because he does some evil stuff, and he's a danger to our the safety of our society and our country. But what can you do if, you, if, if Jesus is at your highest level of identity rather than your country? Well, it actually allows you to love your country more fully. Because you're not asking of it things that it can't give. And it also allows you to love your enemy. Because he, for all the good and bad that he does, is created in the image of God. When Jesus went to this cross, he went for sinners. And he died for you and for me. And for him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so, even as we can point out things that are wrong or that are evil, we can also do that in love. I'm using this, you know, kind of dictator as a figure here because that seems really awful. But could you love him? In Christ, we can. In Christ, we can have peace. In Christ, the dividing walls of hostility between us are broken down because at the cross, we're all equal. I want to illustrate this for you using the end of the passage. When Jesus breaks down this dividing wall of hostility that lies between us, he unites us with God. He gives us a new citizenship. He gives us a new family. And then he gives us a new structure of reality, a way in which our lives can be built. So if you can remember the cross and remember um, an arch, you can remember the whole sermon. 
Because the cross is where we discover peace, where the dividing walls between us are broken down. But then Paul says this at the end. He says that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the what? The cornerstone. You remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the man who builds his house upon the rock. And the floods come and the winds blow and the rains fall. The house stands, right? He's not like the man who builds his house on shifting sand. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the one who gives stability to who we are, to our identity. He's the one who allows the church to be built into what it is. We can understand the cornerstone and the strength of it. Everything else depends on it. But this is a tricky word in Greek. Not just in the scriptures, but in the larger, kind of in that time. This word was used differently at different times. And and it's fascinating to me. It can be described as the cornerstone, but it can also be called and rightly translated the keystone. Do you know what that is? The keystone, right? So if you're building an arch, you've got a couple pillars built up here. And at a certain point, it starts turning inward, right? So you've got rocks that are built and they're on an angle and they're fitting in and you have to support those or else they'll just fall. Gravity brings them down. You've got to support those until you insert the keystone at the top. This word for cornerstone can also be keystone at the very top. And then you can take all the supports out because that keystone allows, like Paul says, in whom the whole thing is joined together. It allows us, the church, to be joined together because it supports the rest of the structure. Jesus is both the cornerstone and the keystone. And what I want you to see is the location of the keystone. It's at the highest point, isn't it? We might say the highest level of reality. It gives meaning and structure to, to the entire rest of the, stru- to, the, to, the um, to the arch or to the temple as being described here. The cross, Jesus does away with our distinctive, our, our differences. He breaks down the dividing walls of hostility that lie between us. He remakes us and builds us into a temple where he is both the foundation, but also the pinnacle, the highest point, the point that gives meaning and structure to everything else that is. Here's what I want to ask you this morning. Who is the highest one or being in your life or thing idolatry is substituting for jesus that keystone other stuff and ultimately when you do that you not only harm yourself because you're living in a false world but you also harm others it causes you to wreck walls of division between you and another person when you appeal to any other thing race or political party or perspective or ideas when anything else finds its way into the highest point in your life what happens everything falls apart so the invitation this morning is to along with paul um, come to the cross Allow Jesus to do away with all those distinctives. Find yourself on your knees before the cross, looking up at that highest point. 
that the Savior has given his life for you and for everyone else. So making peace. That could be a gift that the church gives to the world. That could be a gift that you as a citizen of the United States, but first a citizen of the kingdom could bring to your society, to our society. That's a peace that we could bring to our county and to the communities in which we live, to your family, a peace that can come in your own heart. Let's make peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.